Our First Baptist Family's mission statement is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with Him. And to fit very closely with that is our theme for this season, Go and Tell. We hope everything that we provide, all the resources, encourage you, equip you to do just that. Go and Tell. Well, good morning and happy new year. How, how are your resolutions going? Y'all on track? You're, you're eight days in. How are you doing? Well, are we seven days in or eight days in? Eight? Seven. It doesn't matter. But uh, hopefully you're doing really, really well. I feel, I feel really great because I think I'm really on track. Um, seven, seven days in. Hopefully you are too. I want to share with you a little bit about what's going on in our church uh, family. We have what we call strategic planning. It's an opportunity for our church family to get together either on a Friday evening or a Saturday morning and really dream and pray uh, about this year ahead of us or the next few years ahead of us as a church family. Where is the Lord taking us? What are some things we can give some new direction and shape to? So we want to extend an invitation to everyone to join us either January 19th or Saturday morning, the 20th, but you can get some more details about that online. But we'd love for you to be a part of that as we seek the Spirit's leadership together. Come join us for that. Also, all church retreat is at the end of the month. Uh, this is one of the favorite, one of our favorites. Um, as my family, we love to be a part of all church retreat. So register for that. If you've never been before, you need to go. You can check that out online as well. And finally, we would love for a handful of you to stick around just for a few moments after the close of our time together to help us get the Christmas decorations down. And so if you wouldn't mind giving us five, five minutes or so, we're gonna get, we're gonna get the peace, hope, and love out of the room. Just kidding. Um, that's very much gonna stay, but the, the uh, wreaths and stuff are gonna go among a few other things. So if you're able to stick around, we would be grateful for your help. Well, let's stand together and we're gonna read our text for the day. We are back in the Lord's Prayer. If you've been with us for the past two years, you know this is like the third time we're gonna be walking through the Lord's Prayer together. It seems as if the, God has something he really wants us to hear uh, through this text. But we're gonna read verses nine through 13 from Matthew chapter six. Let's read this together. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. 
Okay, fine, we'll finish it out. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word. As we ask every week, help us to see and hear and obey you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. You may have a seat. You may have a seat. Well, my name is Danny. If you are new with us today, uh, we're just so delighted to have you here. We would love for you to let us know that you joined us for worship today. Uh, you can do that by getting one of those little cards right in front of you, filling it out, and then handing it to me directly right after our time together, or you can put it in one of the bins around the room, or you can go online right now, right on your phone, and go to fbcsa.org connect, and that's really uh, the simplest way to say, hey, I was here with you, and gives us an opportunity to connect with you at a later time, but we're, we're delighted that you're with us. Our mission as a church family is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with him. This is just us saying, really, we want to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we wanna love our neighbors as ourselves as we tell the world about Jesus and who he is and what he has done. This is a, a verse, this vision embodies what it means to be salt and light. We wanna get better at that every single day, every single year. We invite you to continue to give through our church family to join in that mission. You can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash give. Well, we have been in the Sermon on the Mount a number of weeks. It's, it's always, um, it's a really good thing to sit in the words of Jesus. This is the longest recorded sermon that we have of Jesus. It's the, the best sermon ever preached. No one taught with the kind of authority that Jesus did. He enamored people with that sense of authority, being able to say, you heard it said, but let me say. Who, gets, who, who goes off saying stuff like that? Only Jesus could pull that off. And so, man, it is good for us to be able to sit in the words of Jesus. We need that kind of reorientation in our lives and hearts, don't we? Uh, this is Jesus saying, can I remind you what the kingdom of God is like? Can I remind you the values and the qualities and characteristics of the children who make up God's kingdom? Can you orient your heart and life around those values, that culture, that DNA? That's what Jesus is pointing us to. Last week, Jesus really spent time calling us to spiritual integrity and authenticity. He said, I really care about your inner spiritual life, in particular that your inner spiritual life, what you do in the secret quiet places of your life, what you do at home to match what you display for the rest of the world to see. I want you to have the right priorities in place when you pray in public, when you, when you give. I want to make sure that there's some integrity, congruency between what you do out there and your heart. I want there to be authenticity, a sense of self-awareness that you're in desperate need of forgiveness, that there's humility, that there's a sense of disclosure, not putting on masks, not hypocrisy, not pretending to be something that you're not. He says, no, I want you to be real. I want you to be real in the secret, quiet places of your life, and I want you to be real with those who are around you. Don't pretend to be a spiritual giant when you're not. 
He wants our spiritual activity to match what's going, what is going on in our hearts. That's really why I love the Psalms. Um, poetry makes up around 33% of the Bible. And poetry captures that kind of spiritual authenticity. So let me encourage you, if you're not regularly in Hebrew poetry, particularly the Psalms, which is as real as you can get, uh, whether it's David or another poet who is capturing what's happening in the inner quiet places of their life. I love it. I love it. I read a psalm every single day. Today was Psalm 42, the very, very famous song, song where he starts off with, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs after you. That's, that's congruency. Him talking about his inner life being poured out in his public life. The psalms remind us that we're to be real and authentic. You go into the Psalms, you see them crying out to the Lord. Where are you, God, in the midst of their trouble, longing for God, complaining to God? There's no pretense in the Psalms. Last week, I encouraged us by saying this, seeking God honestly, like how we see it in the Psalms, in the secret and quiet places of our lives is the quest to discover our real humanity who we really are and how God has made us and wired us as his image bearers. Again, also Jesus reminded us this week in this particular text as he's transitioning, still a part of the spiritual authenticity to talk about prayer. He's reminding us that what we believe about God shapes how we relate to him. What we believe about God shapes how we pray. And if we think about the examples that he's already given, he's talked about the hypocrites. Now, what did the hypocrites believe about God? Well, they did not believe that God provided the, great, the greater reward. For them, the greater reward was in their pursuit of power and enriching themselves in their position. If I just look like I'm in a the, the spiritual elite, uh, that I am over, that I have power. If I look the part, for them the reward was not God, but what they could get from the people. They didn't believe God had the greater reward. And the Gentiles is the second example that he gives in verse seven. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Two immediately thoughts here. This is a reminder that in Jerusalem, it was very much a Gentile culture to a lot of a degrees. I mean, it was still very much immersed in Gentile culture. Those worlds were very close together. But also, Jesus is already alluding to something. God is gonna be at work in the lives of the Gentile people, the whole world. Pretty, pretty cool. But he says, don't pray like them. Don't babble on and on like them. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Or, say it another way, the Gentiles believed if they strung the right kind of words together in the right order, and if they said them frequently enough in the right order, that they would get attention of one of the different many gods that they worshiped. Most of us have grown up hearing about the Greek gods. These were merely caricatures of broken humanity. 
and they had their various responsibilities over various emotions, but these were, these were aloof, temperamental, childlike, dramatic deities. You weren't guides at all. But for the Greek and Roman mind, these were, these were guides that they had to go to, not because they had a relationship with them, but because they need them to fulfill a particular task. And they used mantras and magical incantations to try to get their attention because the gods really could care less about them. So if they said things loud enough and made sure they said it in the right order because they would only pay attention if you said the words in the right order, then you might be able to grab their attention. Jesus says, you don't have to pray that way. Your God is not some aloof, human-like, corrupt deity. He is, he is near and he knows you and he knows what you need before you even ask. You don't have to worry that maybe, gosh, did God hear me because I mumbled? Did he not hear my phrasing correctly? No, no, he's like, that's not the kind of God that is and the one that we're called to know and to worship. He says, don't pray like them. Don't pray like them. So this morning, I want to offer some brief meditations on just the first four words of Jesus' model prayer, our Father in heaven. And again, these are intended to shape what we believe about God, what we know about him to be true, and in that, that helps orient how we relate to him and pray to him. What we believe about God shapes how we pray to God. And so he begins. Jesus says, pray like this. He says, pray our. There was a reason that Jesus began his prayer with our. He could have began with, pray like this, my. But he didn't. Now, I know that for many of us, uh, prayer is often a solitary exchange between you and the Father. It's a solitary experience, but it's intended that, that it's fruit to be far from solitary. Uh, the intention of prayer, one of the things that Jesus is saying, that the intention of prayer is not to, to isolate us, but to draw us in to a deeper connection with one another. That it's not just me, it's we. It's our Father. This also, this is Jesus saying, by the way, this, this vibrant prayer life, and prayer is a vibrant part of the Jewish expression of their faith from morning to evening and different places in between and different times of year, these beautiful, rich, guided prayers that were intended to orient them around who God is and what he's done and that he's eager to receive the prayers of his people. These guided prayers were an important, rich part of their life. But it had become, <coughs> as we saw last week, that for many, it was perceived that that kind of prayer was only for the spiritual elite. Man, the ones that really could do it well. Man, that when they stood on the corner or they were in synagogue, that man, when they prayed, everyone said, I could never pray like that. 
This is Jesus saying, he's, he's removing those kind of barriers. He's saying, listen, I want you to know a prayer, vibrant prayer life, whether done in public or private, is not just for the spiritual lead, it's for you too. Our, our, what good news. Our is a reminder that in our humanity, we can only know ourselves and God in fellowship with others. Much in the same way that God is the triune God, that we believe in the Father and Son and the Spirit and the eternal fellowship that exists between the three parts of the Trinity. This is God reminding us that that's part of who you are too. You're made in the image of God. There is a a deep need for connectedness in your humanity with one another. It's our, it's not just you. It's not just I. It's our you know, as a, as a husband and a father, I'm very much an individual, right? If you're a husband and a dad, or you're part of a family, you stand as an individual. But it's really hard to think of yourself outside of the relationship that you have with your family. Your connectedness, even when your family is, is not all that it should be, your identity is shaped by your connectedness with your family, I can't think of myself just as an individual. I think of myself as how I relate to Anna and how I relate to my girls as a dad. This is kind of what Jesus is saying. When I say pray our, I'm reminding you of your deep connectedness and an invitation to have fellowship with God and fellowship with others. This is not about autonomy. It's not about a, just a private relationship with God, which is valuable, but it's about being connected. The fruit of that kind of prayer life is connectedness to others and fellowship with others <coughs> as children of God. Then he says, Father. He says, pray like this, our Father. There's a reason that Jesus began with Father. Now you need to know, although all of us grew up hearing God described as Father, No one talked about God as father in the first century. No one used the language to talk about God the way that Jesus talked and described God. When when Jesus said father, when he used that word Abba, it lit some people up. People were shocked. They were angry. Why? Because in that rich, wonderful Jewish religious tradition, and as they ought, they elevated the name of God. It was sacred. They didn't, they didn't trample on the name of God. But here they heard Jesus bringing God down as if he was diminishing God. Of course, we know that wasn't Jesus' heart at all. There was a reason that he said, Father, Jesus is saying, listen, I want to teach you that God is near. That he knows before you even ask what you need as his son or daughter. There's these wonderful Old Testament themes that describe this covenant God as father, which is a picture of his redemption. It's a picture of him choosing a people, uh, his people, where he is their God and they are his, they are his children. It's a picture of chosenness. It's a picture of compassion. Jesus is reminding us, can I just tell you that God is not this some far off, 
head turned the other way, unconcerned. No, he is near. In fact, he has set his eyes on you. Like a father would to a child. God is not some disconnected, incompassionate, distant, unrelational deity. No, he is creator of the heavens and the earth who has drawn near. So much so you can call him father. Now there are some beautiful metaphors that Jesus uses for us to try to wrap our brains around what this really means. And they really needed it. In the first century world, if you're looking at just how the spiritual elite, the hypocrites had portrayed God, God had just become this, this judge, this righteous judge that was ready to snuff you out if you didn't measure up. And so he had to reorient them. God has, remember, God has set his eyes on you like a father to a child. But there, there are a few, few images that Jesus gives in the New Testament. The first one is the parable of the prodigal son. This great story of a father and a son, a son who is just bombed. He's just wasted everything. He's given his life away. He is full of sin and unrighteousness. And he finally gets his heart and right mind in the right place. And on his way back home, remember, he says, I'm just going to convince my dad to take me back on as a slave and a servant. But what does Jesus say the father does? The father looking for and anticipating his return doesn't treat him as a slave, but he restores him as a son. There's this picture that a father longs to bring restoration to his wayward son. That's the kind of image that Jesus wants to capture for them. He's like, can I remind you that what you believe about God shapes how you pray and you must believe that God has set his sights on you. And yes, you are not righteous, no, not one, but he is ready to bring you in and restore you as a father would a son. There's that other image, remember, when the children were clamoring to get to Jesus? I mean, who wouldn't? And the disciples like, mm, he's not for you, just for adults. And Jesus says something profound. He says, the kingdom of God is made up of children like these. People have faith like a child. What does he mean? That sense of honesty and authenticity and eagerness to sit on the lap of the father who, who longs to have the intention of the father, whose gaze is set on the father, who can't get enough of the father. And Jesus says, that's what kind of the relationship like is in heaven. The relationship with God, the creator of the heavens and the earth is like a father to a son. I mean, if you're a parent, you know this. You know that Parents long for the welfare and good of their children like no one else on the planet. Your children. Uh, yeah, you love other children, but you'll do anything for your children. Anything. Uh, you'll, you'll go as far as you need to go to care for the needs of your children. That's kind of the picture that, that Jesus is trying to convey. Uh, God is, yes, God is righteous and God is a judge, but can I remind you that he's also father? In fact, it's alluding to what he's going to accomplish that we can boldly approach the throne of grace as children of God without fear. Romans chapter eight, Hebrews chapter four. What we believe about God shapes how we come to him. And Jesus says, you can come to him, our 
Father. And then Jesus says, in heaven, our Father in heaven. Now Jesus does want to remind us that God is wholly other. He is transcendent. He's beyond our comprehension. Jesus, God is spirit. He is unseen. We are sinful, but God is holy. His glory is the sum of everything that he is. And we have no glory of our own other than than what we have received from the Father. We have no life of our own other than what we have received from the Father. We have no good in and of ourselves apart from what we have received from the Father. Isaiah 55, eight, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Our minds cannot fully comprehend the bigness and vastness of our Father in heaven. We cannot own him, we cannot seal him in, we cannot back him in a corner, we cannot define him in our own terms, we cannot make demands of him. He makes demands of us, we cannot mold him. He molds us. Whether we know it or not, who we are fully, fully revolves around the centrality of the sun, much like the sun that comes up at the day and goes down at night, the very earth revolves around the center of the sun. There's no life apart from the sun. And the earth or the moon doesn't have to think that the sun is the center for the sun to be the center. Our world is full of people who think their world is revolving around something else. In fact, it is revolving around something else, at least ideologically as idols. But listen, no matter what, God is still center. That's unchanging. Jesus says, I want to remind you of the, the bigness and the centrality and the supremacy of God in all of creation. He is holy. He is holy. And you need him. You have no life apart from him. Um, we, we've had the opportunity uh, to go on safari um, a few times when we visit family in East Africa and go on mission. It's awesome. But uh, early in the mornings, if you, when we go out on safari, like at 5.30 in the morning, you'll see these giant vultures. I mean, they're huge. Um, and the, the top, top part of the trees. And when the sun comes up, when the sun comes up, and the sun's rays begin to radiate off the ground, the vultures finally make their first flight and they go right above the ground, just hovering and they're just flying, like literally just like you know, five to 10 feet off the ground, why? Because they need the sun's heat that radiates and reflects off the ground. They need the sun for flight to get in the air. That's what Jesus is saying. Our Father in heaven, holy and glorious, fully righteous, from whom we know life. Apart from him, we have nothing. That's the kind of God we are invited to have fellowship with as Father who is ours. Psalm 121, 
Verse one says, there is none like him. None like him. Our spiritual integrity and authenticity in our prayer life ought to flow out of these realities, what is true about God. Sinclair Ferguson, well-known theologian, wrote this. He said, if, if we were to write these words over the whole of our lives, their truth and power would transform our relationship to God, to ourselves, and to others. And I would add, in all of that, it would transform how we pray. Transform how we pray. It makes perfect sense that the first request in Jesus' model prayer is, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Help me to get those truths. We, we don't add to God's holiness. But the request is, can I see your holiness? Can I believe these things about our Father in heaven? Can my life revolve around those truths that stand true whether I believe them or not? But may I see it and believe it and love it and come to you through them. May these truths transform us. My invitation this morning for you is for us to make that prayer together. May your name be holy in my life. May I never lose sight of you. May you never be in the background, but always in the foreground. In all the places that I go, at home, at school, may you always fill that space with your majesty, beauty, and glory. And may, with great confidence, knowing that you have drawn near and see me and know me, may I come near to you in prayer. And trust that we have a connection to that God together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I know all of us long to have a real, authentic prayer life. We ask you to make that so. Help us never to lose sight of Jesus' teaching about these truths about you. Continue to teach us to pray. May we always keep you center. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.